Hi, women. I'm Krista Whitney from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm the wife of Josh Whitney, one of our pastors here at The Rock. I'm the mom of Kale, Aiden, Haley. Those are my youth groupers. And then Elias McLean, who are here to help us out this week. I'm excited to get to share with you this afternoon. We're going to talk about relationships with one another as women in the church. Now, as women, we know we are relational. Our lives often center around relationships. We spend a good chunk of our time thinking about our families, our friends, our classmates, our coworkers. We read books and watch TV shows and movies about relationships. We talk about them. When we decided to go to DTC, we didn't just decide for ourselves. We were like, who's going? Who's going to be there? We're encouraged when we are in right relationships with one another. And we can get very discouraged downhearted and brokenhearted anxious when we have problems in our relationships we do really appreciate the value of good relationships and that is how god made us god exists within relationship and made us for relationship first a relationship with him through his son jesus christ and then he puts us in relationship with one another and the family of god his church so this afternoon i'm going to talk about how to be intentional and purposeful with these relationships with women in our churches This is important because the women in our lives will have a profound impact on us and on the course of our lives. Unfortunately, we can often be very passive and receptive more than we're intentional and purposeful. Women can drift in and out of our lives without us thinking much about our motives in those relationships. Our emotions and feelings often dictate why we invest in one relationship and we neglect another one. We miss the value of the relationships right in front of us and can spend too much time investing in ones that won't even matter to us in five years. When we let our feelings lead us, we neglect to consider what God and his words say about our relationship. So let's pray, and then we'll take some time to look at what God has to say about our relationships with women in the church. God, thanks for today. Thanks for these women joining me today. I pray that you would speak to each one of them, give them something to, um, to learn about you and something to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at our handout here. Proverbs 4.26, it says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. God wants us to spend time thinking about where we are going. Ephesians 5.1 tells us that we should be imitators of God as beloved children. Because we are imitators, it goes on to say in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. That's that word kairos that Rich talked about. It's this fixed season that God gives us. We only have so much time in our lives, this fixed seasons. Your teen years and your years of living at home will not last forever. They will come to an end and soon for some of you. So we need to consider how we walk in our relationships. We need to ponder the path of our feet and think about with whom we are walking in our relationships with the women in the church. We need to have God's priorities here. So we're going to talk about three things. First, the priority of love in our relationships, then the women we should prioritize, and then how we practically prioritize. So let's look at what God has to say. So first of all, the priority, your first thing on your outline, the priority of love in our relationships with women. So I would say the most significant thing that should characterize our relationships with one another as women in the church is love. Matthew 22, Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Then in John 13, before Jesus is about to be rested and crucified, he says, A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 
So Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament with love God, love your neighbor. And then the one time he gives a new commandment, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So why? Number one, why should we be marked by love? 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And then John goes on and says, if anyone says, I love God and hates her sister, she is a liar. For she who does not love her sister whom she has seen cannot love God whom she has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love her sister. Now, I obviously modified the gender for those of you that know the verse, right? Because I'm talking to women. But I want you to see that love for our sisters in Christ and love for God are so intimately linked in the Bible that they're really the same thing. And we all want to be known as women who love God, right? Yeah, exactly. This verse says that our love for God is demonstrated in our love for one another. So how do we love God in our relationships? I want to focus on a few verses that I really like. 1 Corinthians 13 is the section I really appreciate. At the end of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, And I will show you a still more excellent way. So there's a lot of ways to do things, right? Some might be good, but the way of love, the Bible says, is the more excellent way. As Christian women, we should be marked by the more excellent way, the way of love. I could do a whole series of seminars on this, but I want to focus on just a couple verses. So how do we love? Uh, first, letter A, it says, love does not seek its own. This is from 1 Corinthians 13.5. Another translation, it says, love does not insist on its own way. I think this is pretty profound in our time. We live in a world that seeks its own every single minute of every single day. So much of the framework of our lives is built upon doing what you want, when you want, with you want, with who you want, how you want. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 2 talks about this. It says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why? It says, because people will be lovers of self. Our culture actually tells us, love yourself more, accept yourself more. The truth is, honestly, that we love ourselves more than anyone else on the entire planet. We might not think we do, but the majority of our time is spending about, spent thinking about myself. Even when I'm thinking about someone else, I still am usually thinking about how to help myself in that moment. When talking with a friend a while back about this topic, she said to me, I'm just trying to not think about myself so much. And I've thought on that phrase many times over the last couple of months and repeat it to myself when I start feeling bad for myself about something I've said. Krista, just stop thinking about yourself so much. Quit seeking your own. That's usually the challenge for me. Philippians 2 has one of my favorite passages on the struggle we have of being so self-focused. It gives us our action point about what we should do instead. Letter B, it's love considers others more important. The verse says, do nothing from self-ambition, but in humility count others more significant or consider others more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So God knows that we are looking out for our own interests, right? He says, look out for the interests of others too. We need to get our, our eyes off ourselves and consider others in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words. So first in our thoughts, how to love in our thoughts. When we show up somewhere, it's easy to think, who do I know? Where are my friends? And what we're honestly thinking in those moments can, can be, who will love me? If we don't know anyone when we go somewhere, we stand around awkwardly sometimes looking at people and wondering who's going to talk to us. But let's think about what God might want us to do. 
how to not seek our own, but to consider others. What if before we showed up to a place like youth group or church or someone's birthday party, we asked God, who do you want me to love? Please show me how I can love that person or those people and help me consider her more important than myself. Anytime we are with people, we should ask God to help us love them. The more we do this, the more it becomes a habit. I love this quote by Robert Chapman. He says, my business is to love others, not to seek that others love me. So number one, it says, seek to love. Let's make that our business to seek to love other women. The second one, believe the best. Another way we can love women or thoughts is to always believe the best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love believes all things. And that really means love believes the best in all things. We need to be women that believe the best about another other women in the church. And I think an even greater struggle for us sometimes is to believe that other women are believing the best about us. Because I think sometimes we'll interact with someone and, you know, they can be either standoffish or a little crabby and we can think, oh, she doesn't like me. She doesn't want to be friends. She's mad at me. And immediately we're just thinking all about me. We're seeking our own. But sometimes we need to just consider for a little bit. What if instead of thinking about how we felt, we were treated, we thought about that woman? What if we thought maybe she's shy and it takes a while for her to open up? Maybe she's having a bad night. Maybe she's not feeling good. Maybe there's things going on in her life that are hard and for whatever reason, she can't talk about it. Let's stop analyzing the way we're treated by one another and choose to believe the best about each other. I was really blessed by a sister's response to me and believing the best. She had been texting me some more significant things going on in her life, and I was ignoring her text, or so she thought. And eventually, when I never replied, she thought, I wonder if I have the wrong number for Krista. And we talked in person, and I confirmed, yes, indeed, that that was not my number she was texting. She was so sweet about it. She wasn't mad at all because she had believed the best about me the whole time. Instead of thinking Krista just doesn't care, she believed the best about me and thought, oh, I probably am not sending this to the right number. So I appreciate that, sister and her believing the best about me. There are times, though, when we have been hurt or offended in our relationships with one another, and we can't seem to believe the best, so we do need to talk through those offenses with one another, and I'll talk more about that later. But let's remember that, that love believes the best. Now, I think it's easy to see that we can really lack love in our lives, and a couple of thoughts on how we can grow in love, number three and four, is to really study love and pray for love. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul prays that we would have the power to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. So instead of ruminating our own thoughts, we need to get God's thoughts in our hearts. We need to recognize our own sinful thoughts, take them captive, replace them with truth. And I think studying the subject of love, especially when you're in a difficult place in a relationship with someone, is really beneficial. It helps us turn our thoughts away from ourselves and towards the Lord. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. He was the great evangelist of the 19th century. He used to be this fire and brimstone preacher until he heard someone preach John 3.16. that one verse for an entire week. And here's what happened in response to that preaching. 
He said, I took up the word love, and I do not know how many weeks I spent in studying the passages in which it occurs, till at last I could not help loving people. I had been feeding on love so long that I was anxious to do everybody good I came in contact with. I got full of it. It ran on my fingers. You take up the subject of love in the Bible. You will get so full of it that all you've got to do is to open your lips, and a flood of the love of God will flow out upon the meeting. There is no use trying to do church work without a love. A doctor, a lawyer may do good work without love, but God's work cannot be done without love. It's a great exhortation to study love, right? When we lack it. And then last that we need to pray for love. I've been struck in dealing with conflict with my children that at the root of almost all of their conflicts is a lack of love. And it's made me see what a great struggle I have in my own life with a lack of love. So it's motivated me to pray for love for all of us. When we drive to a meeting, we pray God to help us love people. If I'm unhappy with someone or hurt, I pray that God helps me love that person. When we're going to have people over, we pray that God helps us show love to them. We need to pray every day for love. God has commanded us to love one another, and it is his will that we do so, so he will answer those prayers according to his will. So let's pray for love. All right, letter D, love in action. Okay, first thing I want to talk about there is number one, that love initiates. First John three sixteen and 18 say, by this we know love. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I love this verse. It shows how Jesus takes initiative with us, right? When we're dead in our sin and when we're rebelling against him, he pursues us. He wins our hearts. He continues to initiate in relationship with us every day. Because of that, this verse says that we need to take the initiative in our relationships with women in the church. We all like to be pursued, right? Doesn't everybody like to be pursued? Yeah, we want someone to call us, to talk to us, to give us a hug, to show interest in us, to encourage us, to give us gifts, to serve us, to appreciate us. We're pretty good, you know, at seeking our own there. We want to be loved. But will we be the one to initiate love, right? In our family, with our parents, with our siblings, with the new girl in our church, that will we be the one that stands back in a room and sees who needs somebody to have them talk to them? Who can we smile at today? Say hello to. Who can we call? Who could we help? Who can we invite to hang out with us? We all want to be included and invited, but will we be the one to take initiative to connect, to encourage, to help, to comfort, to love? When I think of God's initiative with me, I'm reminded of the summer I spent in S's Park. We lived in the dorms and we shared a very, we've shared one phone in a hallway of like, I don't know, 20 rooms or something. And I worked a lot and hiked and we had a bunch of meetings and so I was rarely in my dorm room to answer a phone call and I wasn't very good at calling my parents regularly. This was before cell phones, obviously, and I didn't really have email or anything back then. But my dad would call me probably a few times a week. He met pretty much most of the girls on my floor who would answer the phone were around. He'd chat with them. I had people I'd never met before telling me, hey, I talked to your dad. Please call him back. <laughs> They'd write messages on the board for me that my dad called. And when I didn't call him back like I should, he didn't get unhappy with me. Instead, he just decided to bring my mom and brother to visit me in person. He pursued me. He took the initiative with me. He wasn't resentful about my lack of response. He just loved me. He really took the initiative. And to me, that's a great example of what God does for us. He takes initiative in our, his relationship with us, and he wants us to do that in our relationship with others. All right, the second thing there is that love covers. 
This is from 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this is important for us to remember. We are sinners, right? That's why Jesus came, to save us from our sin and to help us so that we no longer walk in it anymore. And we are going to sin against one another, and we're going to be sinned against. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Our world is marred by sin. It causes hurt, conflict, pain. The longer I live, I have become convinced that one of the most significant things we must learn to practice for our spiritual health is to forgive. For the rest of our lives, we'll be hurt and offended by women that we love and women that love us. So for the sake of those relationships in our own hearts to keep moving forward in a healthy way, we have to learn to forgive as the Lord forgives us. We need to acknowledge our hurts, to deal with them in a God-honoring way. We need to talk through them with someone when necessary and be willing to let go of those offenses. We need to have to learn to not take everything so personally and think so highly of ourselves that we're shocked that someone would treat me that way, right? We have to be willing to forgive, to cover over the sins of others, to cast it behind our back, as Isaiah said, God does for our sin. I think the action of forgiveness really protects our love for other women in our life and our love for God. So let's remember that love covers. All right, uh, the last one, how to love with our words. Now, um, I know that for you outline people who like structure and grammar, whenever you have a one, you're supposed to have a two, but I ran out of time. So we just have a one here, not a two. So bear with me. So loving in our words, how can we be women who love with our speech? The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're praying and asking God, before you interact with people, God, who can I love? How can I love them? Then I think your speech will flow from a heart of love. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any wholesome t- unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So number one, it says, Love builds. Many of us women really like to talk, right? I mean, even if you're not a big talker, I'm sure there are at least a few, a few people that you really like to talk to. We need to remember, words are powerful. Proverbs says the tongue is the power of life and death. But how often do we consider with the heart of loves those we are talking to and what the impact that our words might be? Maybe you're having a conversation about a fun birthday party you went to with some friends, but in that crowd is a gal who wasn't invited. You might think it's a light story, but it might leave this gal feeling like she's missing out and she's on the outside of the circle. She will not walk away feeling love. Think about what conversations you can have instead that might build others up. Maybe you're complaining about the work your parents made you do or how your siblings have been bothering you. You might feel better after venting, but the woman you're, will the woman you are talking to feel built up in the Lord? Will she see the value of hard work or the blessing of having siblings? I don't think so. Remember that love builds. It doesn't tear down. Maybe you just like to talk about yourself. I definitely like talking about myself, right? But will we be Will the women around us feel built up by us only sharing things about ourselves instead of asking them about their lives? We need to learn to ask questions about other women. Maybe you don't like to talk. And it's true that even if fool is thought wise, if they keep their mouth shut, 
And where words are many, sin is not absent. But Proverbs also says that a word and the right circumstances like apples of gold and settings of silver. That word has to be spoken to be known by someone else, to be that beautiful treasure that God talks about in that verse. So are we speaking these words that build? Sometimes we might think them in our heart, but for them to build others up, we need to speak them. Let's think about our online habits. For those of you guys who have phones, have you reviewed your friend list to consider how your post might be received by all the women on your list? Before your, where you post, there's two questions my sister-in-law told me that she always asks herself. Number one, why am I posting this? And number two, what will be the impact of me posting this? All too often, we're just, we're just thinking of ourselves. We think, see what I did. Look who I was with. Look how I look. Look how I spent my time. Right? And then we want to be affirmed in all of that with our various likes and comments. But I want you to know, God cares about our heart when it comes to our online habits. He wants us to have a heart of love for others that builds them up, even in our online words. I don't know each of your hearts, so that's between you and the Lord. But I want you to think and consider the words that you write and the things that you post, and whether they, whether they will be encouraging and building for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, seek to love one another with our words. All right, so that's the priority of love in our relationships with one another in a church. Let's talk about who we should prioritize in our relationships. So the women we prioritize. Uh, let's see. First verse, Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We need to be wise in our relationships. We need to choose carefully, knowing the significant influence that the women in our lives will have on us. Besides God's word, our relationships, not just with women, but all of our relationships, are the most influential thing in our lives. If we want to be godly women, we must walk with godly women. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15.33 shares the same idea. It says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Or in the NIV it says, Corrupts good character. We cannot deceive ourselves into thinking the relationships we have and the things we talk about and do together will not influence us in our relationship with the Lord or the way we think about people or the way we act towards others. Bad company, even the bad company of other Christians will ruin and corrupt us. The relationships we prioritize shouldn't be primarily based on whom we click with or enjoy hanging out with the most or even those who seem to need us the most or be the most available. Rather, our relationship should spring primarily from a desire to grow in godliness, to encourage others in godliness, and to be involved in the work of the gospel. Knowing that, I want to look at four different types of women the Bible speaks about that we should prioritize in a relationship. All right, first is friends who mentor. These are our mothers or big sisters in the faith and, you know, relationships where we are daughters in the faith. So Titus 2 speaks about these relationships. It says, um, Titus 2, I love this passage because it's so specific about what godly women should be doing. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind, submissive of their own husbands as the word of God may not be reviled. So this passage first teaches us that we need to be learners, right? We need mothers or mothers in the faith. 
if you don't have a godly mother. We need mothers and mothers in the faith to teach us and train us in what is good. Our world has gotten so far away from what biblical womanhood looks like. It doesn't value the things that God values anymore. We learn so much from godly women who have gone before us where the fruit of their lives demonstrates the character that we want to imitate. If you have a godly mother, praise the Lord, right? God chose her to be your mom. She is a gift to you that we should all be thankful for. That's a gift from God. We need to value this relationship right now above all other relationships. As a godly woman, your future is going to be full of women who will mentor you. But this is a unique time in your life to really learn from your mom and build a godly foundation that will bless you for a lifetime. If your mother is not a Christian or maybe she's a very young Christian, you can still learn from your mom. Look for areas you can learn from her, maybe some skills she has, her work ethic, how she deals with challenges, how she talks about her family, how she spends her time. I am sure you have things your mother can instruct you in. Look for those areas. Ask, And if you don't have a godly mom, ask God to give you a godly mother, a godly big sister in the faith that can teach you some of the things of the Lord. So to be learners, we receive instruction both by observing it and being directly taught. So for observed instruction, that comes when we choose to spend time with our mother or our mother in the face as they go about their daily lives in their homes, at church, daily activities. We learn by being with them if we pay attention. For as long as I can remember growing up, my parents hosted a weekly Bible study in their house. My mom looked forward to these times. She made sure the house was clean, ready for her guests. She always had excellent food prepared for the night. She regularly had guests stay in her home. She worked hard to make them comfortable, to accommodate them, to feed them well. She never stressed out about people coming over or staying in her home. She never complained about the work she had to do before and after. She knew her home was the Lord's and she wanted to use it for his purposes. Observing her life honestly impacted me significantly. I was excited to get my home, to have people over, to have guests stay with me, to make good food for everyone. I wanted to use my home to love others and to build God's kingdom too. I didn't realize the work it involved until I did it myself, but fortunately I had observed my mom's life. She never told me what I should do. She just lived it, and I learned from her because I was paying attention. So women, let's watch our moms. Let's pay attention to our moms and moms in the faith and learn from them what God would have us to just by their example. All right, we also need to be taught, right? We need to be clearly taught things by our mothers and mothers in the faith. We should be seeking out intentional instruction from our moms, not just waiting for it to be given to us when we, you know, blow it or when we, you know, just expect our moms to read our minds and tell us what we need to hear. It means we need to be open about our lives, right, with our mom or our godly mother in the faith. We have to talk about the things in our hearts and on our minds. Haley, my daughter, has been a blessing to me in this. She tells me different conversations she has with friends, things that encourage her, stuff that bothers her, stuff that's challenging for her. She gets counsel. If she reads or hears something she doesn't understand, she asks about it. She asks for help when she can't resolve conflicts in the family or with other people. And it blesses me when she essentially is saying, hey, mom, teach me. So let's have a learner's heart. Let's be both observers and let's be willing to ask our moms to teach us when there's things that we need to learn or grow in. All right, the passage also teaches, let her be here on your outline, teaches that we should not just be learners, but we should be teachers. So if you're a godly woman who has character and a fruitful life, Titus 2 says we need to teach what is good to the younger women in our life. 
Now you might think you're too young to be a teacher, but I guarantee you that there are younger people watching you, right? If you have younger siblings, they're definitely watching you and wanting to learn from you. How and what can you pass on to them by your words and your example? The younger Christians and younger by age children in your life are learning from you. They love it when you pay attention to them. How can you show them the ways of the Lord? My daughter has had a lot of opportunities to be a teacher to the children she babysits this summer. They are learning about the Lord from her. They're learning what he values, what he says about how they should treat one another. So are you as a godly woman seeking to teach what is good? Titus says we should be. We don't have to wait on the road in age and maturity to embrace this role of mentoring or mothering or big sistering, really, for a lot of us. We just need to be a step ahead or two to teach what's good. I am convinced, honestly, that being a mother or big sister in the faith is foundational for our spiritual growth. The women who I know who are growing and maturing themselves are the women who are willing to teach what is good to another woman or to the children in their lives. So let's be teachers. Now, some encouragement to those of us who are being mentored by our moms or mom in Christ or another mature godly woman. When my kids are babies, I don't expect them to do anything. I do all the work of feeding them and caring for them myself. But as they grow up, I expect them to contribute to the feeding and caring and work in the home. They have chores and jobs and responsibility. And that becomes greater as time goes on. And that not only helps me, but it teaches them how to come alongside me and bearing responsibility in themselves. This shows maturity. As we grow in maturity in our relationships with our moms, we need to seek to come alongside them, to encourage them, to help them in their lives instead of just expecting them to do everything us like we're spiritual babies. Haley was a big blessing to me in this. In the past week, I had something happen that was very discouraging. I shared with her. She comforted me. She shared truth with me. She helped me trust the Lord. It was a real encouragement to me. Let's be women that are willing not just to receive but to give. And for your mentoring relationship... Your relationships where you're mentoring, a healthy mentoring relationship will naturally grow over time and into a more mutual relationship. But to do so, we have to be willing to be open ourselves to more and more mutual sharing as time goes on and as it's appropriate, obviously, to someone's age and maturity. But listen to how Jesus addresses this idea when he speaks to the disciples. In John 15, 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus shared his life with these men. They weren't servants under a master. They were friends. We need to remember with people we mentor that we are on a journey of faith together. And we can make choices to make those people. And I feel like they are on the same journey with us. So if you have a godly mom... Or mom in the faith, praise the Lord. Thank him for that. Redeem this fixed time that you have at home by making a deliberate effort to be a learner. Let's be godly daughters in the faith. And as you grow, learn to come alongside your mom and take responsibility for yourself. Look for women that you can be big sisters to in the faith and be teachers of what is good. All right, let's see. Back page your outline. Number two, friends who sharpen. These are our sisters in the faith. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one woman sharpens another. And then Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We need friends that will sharpen us, stir us up, encourage us to pursue God and follow his ways. 
I remember a few years back when I was feeling discouraged about a situation with a friend who was making some bad choices that had really hurt me. I shared that with another friend anonymously, and I said, you know, I think I'm kind of done sharing truths with women. It's discouraging to watch a friend ruin her life. She promptly said to me, Krista, it is not our responsibility to make people do the right thing, but we are responsible to hold out God's truth to them. You keep sharing truth, sister. You are doing a good job. I was both corrected and encouraged in that same moment. We need friends that will do that for us, that sharpen us and encourage us in right living before God. The key friends who sharpen us right now will certainly be your godly mom or mother in the faith and all the things that we talked about being part of that godly relationship. But as we go through the section, think about the girls in your life who you consider your peers. Let's consider those relationships in light of what makes for a friend to be a friend who sharpens. Okay, just because a friend of ours is a Christian doesn't necessarily mean it makes her a friend who is sharpening you. Maybe we only ever talk about TV shows or videos we watched on the internet or hobbies or what we did in our free time. Not that any of that's wrong, but there needs to be an intentional spiritual element and spiritual conversations in our relationship to be friends who sharpen. So how do we have that spiritual element, that relationship that sharpens? Uh, First one, letter A is through honest sharing about our lives. Friends who sharpen take the initiative to honestly open up to one another. Not just when questions are asked or things happen to come up, but they take initiative in conversation when there's something that needs to be known for the sake of our own spiritual well-being. That could be a struggle you're having, a discouragement, something you learned, a victory that you had, a sin problem, a challenging circumstance, some need for accountability, Maybe a helpful change in perspective God gave you, an encouraging thought, maybe a book that shaped you, a destructive thought pattern you're dealing with, a newer helpful habit you've established. Whatever it is, honest communications about our hearts and lives is the foundation for friends that sharpen. But it can't stop there. Letter B, prayer. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. That's pretty honest sharing, right? Confessing our sin. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. As friends who sharpen, we need to share honestly and then bring our sisters to the throne of grace through prayer. A number of my friends have been praying for our time together at DTC that this conference would have an impact on each one of your lives. They aren't attending themselves, but they are connected to our time as they bring each one of you before the throne of grace. They're praying for you. That's what friends who sharpen do. They pray for you. Uh, letter C, speak the truth in love. To be friends who sharpen, we speak the truth in love, like Ephesians 4.15 says. I wish we all believed truth all the right, all the time, right, and lived by it, but we don't. So we must be willing to speak truth when it needs to be spoken and have friends that will make the hard choice of speaking truth to us when we need it. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It is not easy to speak the truth in love, but it is the mark of a friend who sharpens, as is receiving that truth humbly and graciously from a friend who sharpens. I love this from um, Amy Carmichael's poem, If. She says, If I am afraid to speak the truth, lest I lose affection, or lest the one concerned should say, You do not understand, or because I fear to lose my reputation for kindness, if I put my own good name before the other's highest good, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Frankly, it's easy to just want to be liked, to want to keep things easy and peaceful, right? Instead of seeking the highest good in our friend's life. 
speaking the truth in love is really an identity check for us and our friends' relationships. Is my identity in this relationship and what this person thinks about me? Or is my identity in the Lord and what he wants for my friend's life and my life? It takes courage and faith to speak truth into a friend's life. I've claimed that verse many times. Wounds from a friend can be trusted in many conversations with women. But as friends who sharpen, we have to learn to speak the truth in love for the other's highest good, as Amy Carmichael says. All right, last way to be a friend who sharpens. We need to speak faith. We must speak faith when it needs to be spoken and point one another back to the Lord. I remember a while back when I was walking through a difficult trial in my life that was discouraging. A friend bought me a gift. She wrote me an encouraging card with a verse on it that I remember to this day from Psalm 3. It was very meaningful to me that this friend recognized the gravity of what I was walking through and pointed me to the Lord in the midst of it. Friends who sharpen speak faith to us. They point us to the Lord in the midst of our struggles. If you don't have any godly friends in your charts that sharpen you and stir you up, today is the day to make some. It may take some time or it may take a conversation with a friend that you already have and how you can have that friendship become one that sharpens. Maybe if God hasn't given you someone like that in your church or in your family or your youth group yet, you may find a sharpening relationship with somebody who is in this room today that doesn't even live in your state. Whatever the case is, we should all be developing We should all have or be developing friends who sharpen. All right, number three, friends who need friends. As women, it's pretty easy to get too comfortable in our established relationships. We can sometimes become even lazy and selfish. We can get tapped out relationally, relationally, but I think God asks us to be willing to be a friend to those who need a friend in the church. Hebrews 13, 1 through 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Think about a time when you were a new person in a group. Just think on that for a minute. Time when you were new. Josh and I moved to Colorado about 17 years ago. And I remember going out to eat one night with a number of people. Josh and I didn't really want to go. It was uncomfortable. We didn't really know anyone. Josh got lost on the way, which never happened. So that kind of added to the stress of the night. And I remember one gal, my friend to this day, sat down by my husband and I that night, asked this question about our lives, showed a genuine interest in getting to know us. She made us feel loved. She made us feel welcome. She made us feel cared for. She knew we were those people that needed a friend, and she was willing to be a friend to us. After my freshman year of college, a group of my friends went to Myrtle Beach for the summer for what was called LT back then. I had grown very close to a number of these women my first year away from home and was excited to spend the summer with them. When rooms were assigned for our housing, I found out I was going to be roommates with a new gal who was from out of state. We didn't really know one another, and honestly, I knew it would be easier to just be a roommate with one of my friends who I already was connected with. But God challenged me to open my heart to be a friend to this new girl. What I didn't know at that time was what a great friend this this gal would become to me. Now here I am, 23 years later, with her and her family at DTC. What a gift Morgan Thatcher has been to me. God has blessed me immensely through her, my friend who needed a friend 23 years ago. One of the verses God gave me related to being a friend to those who need friends is from Proverbs 21. It says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refused to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Honestly, I think we can be relational sluggards. We don't want to have to do the work, right, of building new relationships, befriending those who we don't know, people in need. 
But God has helped me to realize that if that's my attitude, I will be found wanting, craving, and even it says dying, right? We can be dying relationally. He wants us to be women who give our love and time and heart and being a friend to those who need friends. He doesn't want us to hold back our hearts. So let's be women who look for ways to be a friend to those in need, even here this week. Remember what it's like to be the new girl or the youngest girl or the girl that's not connected to everyone. Introduce yourself to someone new, a gal you maybe don't know. Invite her to join you in something. I know many of you are already doing this. Keep it up. Let's help new girls in our churches not feel new for very long. All right, the last one, friends who need the gospel. These are our future sisters in the faith. All right, Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then in Philemon, it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. God wants us to share our faith with other women, with those who are outside the family of God. He says that we will have a greater understanding of all we have in Christ as we do that. It's so important for us to remember what life is like apart from God and to reach out to those who don't know him. A couple things I want to mention about this. Just because we are hanging out with friends that need the gospel doesn't mean that we are influencing them for the gospel or necessarily even witnessing to them. In my personal study of John last year, I read John 1, 7, where it says John the Baptist says about him, he came as a witness to bear witness about the life that all might believe through him. And the commentator I read said this, he says, witnessing is speaking to others about Christ. This is implied in the very word itself. For witnessing is a legal term that points to verbal testimony rendered in a court of law. That was very convicting to me. I like spending time with friends who need the gospel, but not necessarily speaking about Christ. I like to think that they're seeing my life is often enough. This goes back to that fear of man being a snare in my life, me caring too much about making someone uncomfortable and just wanting to be liked instead. One of my friends that told me she likes to make it a point that when she meets and interacts with lost people to make it known very early in the relationship, usually by their second conversation, that she's a Christian. Then she feels known to them and accountable to speak about Christ. John says, I must speak about Christ and bear witness about the light. I love Ray Comfort. He does such a good job addressing in the, this idea in his way the master classes. He talks about our need to stop thinking about ourselves, right, like we talked about earlier, and have compassion on the souls of those who will spend eternity apart from God, like we've talked about this week. The truth is that we can be so easily influenced by a lost world and by lost friends, right? We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to feel like we are a part of the group. To combat that influence lost friends could have on us and instead be an influence on them, we must see them from God's perspective. Maybe your friend is smart, beautiful, funny, friendly, but she is dead in her sin. She is walking in darkness. She's under the wrath of God against sin. She's going to be buried by Mount St. Helen, like, like we talked about earlier this week. We need to not fear man. We need to fear God. Proverbs 24.11 says, Rescue those being taken away to death. Hold back those stumbling towards the slaughter. My little daughter got an opportunity to live this out in the last year. A friend of mine brought her cousin to church, and since Haley was the closest girl to her age in our church, she connected with his scowl, and over time, Haley identified where she was at spiritually. She shared lots of truth with her, verses from the Bible. One night, they went through the gospel, and this friend prayed to receive Christ with Haley. And praise God for that, right? 
It would have been much easier to just keep the conversation light, not address deep things on this gal's heart, but God empowered Haley to move in there, to dig it all out, and to lead this gal to the Lord. Now she's our sister in Christ. So let's be women who keep our eyes open at our work, at school, in our neighborhood, at the places we frequent, maybe even our extended families, for women who need and want to hear the gospel. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel and God's work for you and being a part of this. The women you know and that you meet may be your future sisters in the faith. All right, last part, how we prioritize these relationships. Ah, let's see. First, we need to remember to ponder the path of our feet like we talked about at the beginning. Start by thinking through each one of these four categories. You should have at least one person in each of these categories, and eventually, as we get older, we should have several in each of them. It could be helpful sometimes to even list those women. This will help us see these relationships as a priority in our lives. Think about what it looks like to honor and glorify God in those different relationships. Now, this doesn't mean that my relationship with these different types of women will take the same amount of time, right? For where you guys are in life, your relationship with your parents and sibling is your biggest time priority. God made our homes the center of our Christian lives, and he wants us right now to be investing our time there. In order to establish in my heart this idea, when I was living with my parents, they gave me a number of boundaries the majority of time. Outside of school was spent with my family. I would spend time with friends, be allowed to talk on the phone, only within the boundaries of what my family was doing. My parents knew I would soon be out of the home and on my own, so they were careful to protect me from having my heart pulled too much out of the home and away from my family. And I am so thankful for that now. I learned by example the priority of my family in the midst of my relationships with other women. And I learned the blessing of having my parents' wisdom and input in those relationships. So we should be heavy on the time in our mentor relationships right now, right? At this point, someday when you move out of your parents' home, your relational investment times will start to shift a little. But let's ponder the path of our feet now and invest in what we've been given in most of our homes, an opportunity to be mentored (coughs) by our parents and to mentor our siblings. All right, for friends who sharpen, think through who God has given you and what it looks like to invest in that relationship with the friend who sharpens. Where could you grow in being that friend who sharpens? And how could you maybe look at a friendship God has already given you and have that become more of a sharpening relationship? Who are the women in your life that need friends? How can you make them feel loved and welcome? Who's your future Morgan that you'll be sitting together at a conference with your kids in 20 years? Let's have a ready heart for when she walks into your church and into your life. Do you have lost friends that you're loving, that you're praying for? Are you influencing them for the gospel or are you just joining them in a worldly life? Some of you may need to step forward in relationships with lost women and some of you may need to step back from some of those relationships depending on who is influencing who. Let's not be women that are more invested in the lives of the women our TV shows or Instagram accounts or Facebook chats than we are in the lives of the women that God puts in our immediate lives. I want to close with a couple thoughts. First, you are never too young or too old in age or maturity to establish this heart of love in your relationships and to prioritize the women in your church in the relationships we discussed. I remember when Haley was 10 years old, we went to a gathering with a number of women in our church and she said to me on the way home, wow, mom, I was so busy. There were just so many girls I needed to connect with. And I was so encouraged by her heart already to be intentional 
in her relationships with the women that God has put in her life. Second, I want to read you a quote from John Meyer, who was my pastor in college, who you guys are going to get to hear tomorrow in his teaching. Now, change the gender in this quote because he was speaking to pastors, but here's what he had to say about our relationships with one another. He says, I need to invest my life here and I need to cultivate my heart connections here within my home and within my church. My natural tendency towards independence, apathy, and withdrawal are my continual enemies in finding the fruit I long for. Specifically, it means I need to proactively love and value you women. I need to help you love and value one another. I need to work to create connections and experiences and bonds. I need to model and call people to the unique things that God has given us. In summary, I need to give my life to making my church family successful. The best God has for me is most likely going to be created right here, but it does not create itself. Amen. May God give us grace to invest our lives in the relationships he has for us with women here in our church. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for a chance to talk to these women. I thank you that you initiated with us, God, that you pursue us, that you um, allow us to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus, God. I pray that you would help us to be women that are known by our love for others, God. Show us today how we can show love to others. God, help us to um, consider the path that we're on, God. Help us to be wise. Help us to think through the relationships you've given us. And uh, maybe step into what we need to in each one of those relationships, God. I pray for each girl here that you would just um, encourage her, instruct her heart, God. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.